Welcome back! You're listening to another episode of 123 All Ears on Me. I'm Kaylina Mills, and I'll be your host. Today we're going to replay a webinar on licensing for outdoor childcare programs. This webinar originally took place on December 7th, 2023, and it was offered jointly by Maine AEYC and the Maine Early Childhood Outdoors Network, also known as MECO or MECO. As you listen to the recording of the webinar, you will first hear from Ann Adams, the network coordinator for MECO, and as the host of the webinar, she will guide you through the webinar conversation and introduce the three panelists, Sessa Salas, Jess Lab, and Jessica Lewis. As always, we will add any resources mentioned during the conversation in the show notes, so check there if you're looking for links to those resources. Before we jump into the episode, I have two pieces of news to share with our listeners. First, the Connecting ECE statewide conference happening in May now has tickets available for sale. These tickets are available for anyone who did not already hold a ticket to the conference in October, which is when the event was originally scheduled to happen. With the postponement of the conference to May 3rd and 4th, new folks have the opportunity to get a ticket. So if you weren't able to get a ticket to the original dates in October, now is your chance to get a ticket for the rescheduled dates in May. You can go to maineaeyc.org conference to learn more and register. Tickets are very limited in this resale, so please act quickly if you want to attend. The second piece of news I have to share is that Maine AEYC has released a book to celebrate our 20th anniversary. It looks back on the past 20 years and the people who have shaped our organization, as well as looks forward to the future of the ECE field in Maine, honoring current outstanding leaders in the field and recognizing 20 young teachers to watch. It's now available for purchase on Amazon, so please order a copy for yourself and for your program today. You can find the purchase link at maineaeyc.org on our 20th anniversary page. Happy reading! Twenty twenty four is Maine AEYC's twentieth anniversary, and we want to celebrate with all of you. We are planning a variety of events to bring educators together in joyful community across the state. Every twentieth anniversary event will be fun, hands on, and playful, and they will all be free or low cost because you deserve to be celebrated for everything you do for children and families. You deserve to have fun. Our first 20th anniversary celebration is on March 10th at St. Joseph's College in Standish, Maine. Registration is open now, so don't wait. Join us for a lighthearted evening of music and movement with Chrissy Fowler of Belfast Flying Shoes. An early childhood educator herself, Chrissy will lead us in a night of contradancing and give us a sense of how we could all lead similar activities in the classroom with our young students. This event is free to attend, and all participants will get a one-hour certificate for elective training in music and movement in the classroom. You get to play, dance, laugh, and connect with each other while earning professional development hours. You can learn more about this event and others at maineaeyc.org on our 20th anniversary page. Registration is now open for the March event, and space is limited, so register today maineaeyc.org slash 20th dash anniversary. That's M-A-I-N-E-A-E-Y-C dot org slash 20th dash anniversary. We can't wait to see you there. Are you thinking about going back to school to get your early childhood education degree? Maine AEYC and the Office of Child and Family Services wants to make it happen for you. We are proud to facilitate the Teach Scholarship Program so that early childhood educators throughout the state can go back to school to get their associate or bachelor's degree with most expenses covered. The Teach Program is unique because it's a partnership between you, Maine AEYC, and your employer. Together we all work to ensure that you can successfully meet your career and educational goals. If you get a TEACH scholarship, Maine AEYC pays for 85% of your tuition costs, your employer pays for 7.5%, and you are only responsible for the remaining 7.5% of your tuition cost. For those seeking their associate degree, that's an average of only $260 per year that you must pay out of pocket. 
Exactly, Tony. You can get your degree through the Teach Scholarship Program for very little money and without having to take out loans. It's such a phenomenal program to support early childhood educators throughout Maine. In addition to funding your tuition, TEACH recipients are paid for two hours a week of release time so that they can study without losing pay from work or time from their families. The scholarship provides a stipend each term and the scholarship pays for 85% of your book costs. The scholarship provides so much to its recipients. And in addition to all of those benefits, Teach Scholarship recipients get one-on-one counseling and support from a Maine AEYC staff member to ensure that they can successfully complete their program. It's so simple to apply for a Teach Scholarship. Go to maineayc.org application and download the application to your computer. After that, it should only take about 30 minutes to fill out the form and apply. Again, that's maineayc.org application. M A I-N-E-A-E-Y-C dot org slash application. Apply for a Teach Scholarship today and get back into the classroom to get your degree. To the Outdoor Child Care Licensing Webinar put on by um, Maine Early Childhood Outdoors. Um, my name is Ann Adams and I'm the network coordinator for MECO. Um, and we are thrilled to um, be hosting this evening and hope that you find it helpful. Um, I also want to take a moment, even though we were we are virtual, I just want to read a brief land acknowledgement um, since we are in, I at least am in the state of Maine, most of you are as well. Uh, we acknowledge the painful history of genocide and forced removal from their territory, and we honor and respect the many diverse indigenous people still connected to this land on which we gather. This is a call for all of us to commit to continuing to learn how to be better stewards of the land we inhabit. I wanna welcome a few participants that I believe are here or were planning to come, uh, specifically, all, first of all, all of you, uh, teachers, directors, early childhood professionals, whatever form, I know that evenings are, pre time is precious, evenings are precious. You, most of you have worked a long day and here we are again. So I hope that um, it is worth your time and I'd appreciate you giving your time. Uh, I also wanna recognize that we have um, uh, Bob Gothier, who's a um, licensing supervisor with DHHS OCFS uh, licensing. Jargon alert. As a reminder, DHHS stands for the Department of Health and Human Services, and OCFS is an office within DHHS, and OCFS stands for the Office of Child and Family Services. Uh, I also want to recognize that we have um, uh, Bob Gothier, who's a um, licensing supervisor with DHHS OCFS uh, licensing um, <clears throat> department attending tonight, as well as some members from his team. Uh, we also have Kit Harrington from the Natural Start Alliance uh, here tonight. And also, um, I believe Ann Styers is coming. She's uh, the main eco public policy and advocacy focus group facilitator. Um, so I just want to recognize that they're here and they have been contributing a lot to this initiative. And now at this time, um, we're going to move into... Um, a welcome here. We have gone through some of these things already. I want to give a brief um, uh, synopsis of, of Maine Eco, just for those of you who don't know. We're a network of early childhood professionals and stakeholders uh, that are supporting the outdoor nature-based um, work that's happening in, uh, in Maine. Uh, for the sake of this webinar, Outdoor Nature-Based is sometimes an acronym that you might see. It's O-N-B, and it's sort of how we refer to all work being done outside uh, in a nature-based capacity uh, with young children. We serve the ages of uh, eight, uh, sorry, birth through eight or, or roughly grade two. So we're straddling both sectors in our state and we are uh, you know, inclusive of um, family child care, center care, private schools, family play groups, as well as public schools, public pre-K, um, run the whole gamut there. We have three primary impact areas. That's uh, public policy and advocacy, which is tonight's uh, webinar is one of those initiatives. We also focus on professional learning and also network resources and data collection. Um, please use our website to join our mailing list um, or to find our uh, calendar for full list of events and to get involved. 
I'm going to stop talking shortly in our welcome. And then we will have uh, three wonderful panelists here tonight who are going to share some experience from their programs in regards to outdoor nature-based work and licensing regulations. Um, I will come back on after that to share a little bit more specifically about our public policy and advocacy work. And Kit Harrington, um, who's also here from the Natural Start Alliance, will share on what the national landscape looks like. Um, and then finally, we will end with an open listening forum, which will be a chance for you to share. Uh, we can unmute and you can share uh, verbally or there are opportunities via poll or chat and Q&A tools to give your uh, feedback anonymously um, or your questions or concerns. So there'll be time for that. Uh, so uh, without further ado, we'll move on to the uh, sort of this portion of the webinar, which is a chance for us to hear from three wonderful uh, leaders in outdoor nature-based work with young children. Um, Sessa Salas is the director of the People Place Cooperative in Camden, Maine. She's also a Maine Eco Steering Committee member. Uh, and then we will hear from Jessica Lewis afterwards from Inch by Inch Preschool, also a MECO Steering Committee member. And finally, Jess Lab, who um, is down at Village Nest Cooperative in Elliott, Maine, um, and she is a member of our public policy and advocacy focus group. So I am going to turn it over to Sessa now. Hi, everyone. I'm uh, Sessa Salas. I'm the director of People Place Cooperative Preschool in Camden, Maine. Um, so happy to be here and invited to share um, my story with all of you, hoping it will be helpful um, to you. And uh, I know how evening meetings can be really tough. So I appreciate your commitment to being here and learning about nature-based education and, and licensing. So um, I will just kind of briefly go through, you know, who we are, what we do. Um, and I have some slides. I'll show you our outdoor spaces. I'll kind of go through a little bit of kind of day, a day in, in the life of a preschooler at our program. Um, and then talk a little bit more about licensing at the end. So, um, we are a um, Reggio Emilia inspired play-based cooperative preschool. Um, we have been NACI accredited since 1989. I, I believe one of the first programs in the state of Maine to be licensed. Um, we are licensed for, or accredited, sorry. So, and we are licensed for 47 children and have been licensed through DHS since we started in 1983. So we're, we're a 40 year old program. Um, and we, we serve children ages 18 months up to five years old. We have one toddler class with about 15 families enrolled. And then the rest of our, our families and children are, are preschool age. Uh, so they're three to five year olds. Um, we have about two acres, uh, of land, uh, that, belongs to us. We're pretty fortunate to have that. Um, and then one acre of land that we uh, have permission to use. So um, if you see the slide on the right, that is a, a bird's eye view of our campus. And all the way to the right, there's the road. You come into the driveway and immediately to the right, there is a fenced in area we call, we refer to as the garden space. And there's a little greenhouse and a couple of huts and a, and a uh, climber down there and a nice big grassy area for gross motor play um, and running around and stuff like that. And then there's the building, the main building um, there with the playground space, which is another fenced in area right behind it. And you know, all ages of children use those spaces and at various times of the day. And then uh, if you look to the left with of that bird's eye view there, uh, you can see our yurt that's sort of nestled in the woods. And that is a beyond the fence space that we use. Um, so we have the garden, we have the playground, we have our yurt in our woods. And then um, that we, and the children are using those spaces kind of throughout the day. Uh, depending on the schedule and the age of the child. And um, in our yurt program, we have one class typically enrolled out there between 10 and 12 children with two teachers. These are three and five, three to five-year-olds. 
um, for like an all day kind of immersive um, nature-based outdoor uh, uh, program. Um, so that is our school from above and our campus from above. Um, and you can see the main building there on the, the side on the left. Yep, you can go ahead and switch to the next slide, Anne. Thank you. So uh, this is a photo of um, our yurt. Uh, and then there's a composting toilet right to the left of it. I decided to have a, a picture of this in a couple different seasons so you can kind of see the difference. Um, and we are out there year round uh, in all kinds of weather. Um, and it's kind of nice to see sort of the difference in the environment and during the different seasons here. And um, so you can go ahead and switch to the next slide. So in and around the yurt, uh, we have a parent here at drop-off talking to a teacher uh, in the morning. So that's where the sort of morning drop-off happens outside. And then uh, children will spend uh, several couple hours outside um, exploring the different areas around the yurt. Um, and to the left, like I said, there's that composting toilet there. Um, to the left of the year. And then the left slide, you see, uh, this is one of those sort of natural elements in the landscape that we've um, utilized. And we, we the children named it and, and commonly refer to it as the pit, um, which is like this um, kind of concave space that uh, the children are rappelling down, you can see. So we're, we're very, um, you know, interested in children taking risks outside and using the sort of natural playscapes and natural environment um, to our advantage in that way. Um, and you can switch it to the next slide. Thanks, Anne. We also right behind the yurt, we have um, the strapping on the trees where we can hang hammocks where children will have rest time um, in, the, in, in the middle of their day. And then I wanted to give you a, a just a snapshot image of uh, what the, our composting toilet on the inside looks like. Um, it, it also functions as a storage area, but you can see sort of the potty there. Um, and this was, you know, we worked with licensing to get this approved. We worked with town code enforcement officers to also make sure that we were following mm -hmm. rules around pottying. You know, we're, we're within the town limits. so their their rules specific to to that um go ahead and switch slides Anne, please thank you so um so after sort of the the morning time the teachers will venture sort of far farther away from the yurt um and here you can see a couple of children uh with the sled in the winter um we have carts and wagons that we use that have wheels uh, during the other seasons, um, just to bring whether it's ch children's lunches out to what we what we call base camp, um, or whatever whatever we need to transport through the woods, um, we have a, a bit of a trail system, and you can see the children are helping with this. Um, so go ahead and switch slides, please. And so this is a picture of two pictures of of base camp, which is not too far away from the yurt, but it's far enough away um, so that we have to bring gear with us. We have to bring food for lunch or snack with us. Um, you can see a couple of air pots behind the teacher that we use for washing our hands. Uh, and um, we had built this hut to protect from the elements. If it's raining, we can still eat under there and um, we use this year round. And on the left slide there, uh, there's a place for children to hang their backpacks. And teachers are bringing out um, the uh, first aid kits with them. They're bringing out anything that they need to address or uh, re respond to the needs of the children. Um, and they've been trained to do this. So, you know, there's there's been a lot of learning and training and professional development around making sure that we're doing all of these things safely with, with children. Um, go ahead and switch it to the next slide, please. Yeah. So here's kind of a close-up shot of a 
child who is washing their hands. So I worked with my licensor on different ways and creative ways to, uh, you know, make sure that we're following licensing rules. Um, hand washing is obviously one of those big ones that we want to make sure children um, have access to when we're outside in the woods. So we have, and the licensor has, you know, she, she's been great about, um, you know, working with us and partnering with us and, and helping support different ways and approaches to making sure that we're following these rules. So in these air pots, we have one that has warm soapy water in it, you know, not hot, but warm enough and then warm water to rinse. And so before they eat, after they eat, after they pot, use the potty, this is what we use. Um, and then I wanted to include a slide of our greenhouse, which is in the garden area that I referred to earlier, um, which is not in the woods, but you know, this is where a toddler class spends a lot of their time outside. And we converted this greenhouse into a, a an outdoor bathroom of sorts. Again, getting creative, you know, this was during the pandemic actually when, you know, we really needed to have children outside and we were problem solving and getting creative in terms of how, how can we do that in a way that, that is, you know, safe, that is following the rules that the licensor would, would approve of. Um, and so you can see a changing table and then in the far right corner there, uh, there's a little bucket potty there too, um, that we use. And so I just wanted to include that example of an outdoor potty situation. Um, and I have another one too coming up. So this one is one that we use by base camp. So this is in the woods. It's, it's a little bit too far. So when the children in the class is out in the woods, they're a little bit too far from the yurt, the composting toilet or the main building to use a bathroom. So we, you know, again, kind of got creative and we um, built this little platform where there's a bucket with a seat, a seat. And, you know, we have all the supplies we need out there. We have the pop-up tent that we use for privacy and for protection. And the children love using this. This is not something that children are averse to using. Um, teachers don't, you know, they're, it's more helpful for them to have this be accessible to children quickly, obviously. I mean, when you work with children, you, you understand um, when you need a potty, that's, it's important. Um, and so this was just another way to make sure that children when they're out in their woods can, can take care of business. Um, and again, this has been approved by our licensor. Okay, go ahead and switch to the next. And then I included this slide, which is the, um, the weather watch, uh, guide that we use. So obviously, you know, there's so much training and learning about when it's safe to be outside and when it's not. And uh, obviously weather is one of those elements that we pay very close attention to. Um, we have teachers looking at the weather report for the week, giving parents an, a sort of heads up um, in terms of what gear to plan on, you know, sending their child to school with in terms of, um, you know, the things that we look for are wind chill factor and wind generally because out in the woods, you know, branches can come down if there's, there are high winds. Um, but we, we will get outside, you know, most days. Um, but we just want to make sure that children are prepared to do that. Um, and so we do a lot of education around gear and what kind of gear children need. Um, and, you know, if they can't afford to buy the gear because it can be expensive. We, we ask for grants and we have extra on hand. Um, we have secondhand stores where we have accounts where parents are welcome to go and get that gear if they need it. Um, so we really just try to support, um, you know, any, the families through having their children attend our program. Um, so, and, and I would say that, you know, generally like, the I the, I think that's my last slide, and so I think I'm all done. Um, if you but um, I'll just briefly kind of talk a little bit about like my relationship with my licensor has been one that's sort of 
um, built on trust and and we have a, a good positive working relationship um, and good rapport. And I feel like I feel like when that licensor comes into our program, they can kind of tell that you know we've made a lot of effort to make sure that we're following licensing rules, that you know we're doing what is best for children and um, and there is that sort of level of trust. So, you know, I, I don't mind asking questions. I think licensors actually like it when program directors ask questions because it kind of shows that they care and they, they want to do well and they, they want to do it right. Um, and, uh, I would say that in terms of getting outside, like my licensor encourages that they under they support it. They understand the benefits of young children spending time outside. Um, and, you know, I, I think that if, if wherever you are on sort of your continuum in terms of where, like where you're located, what your space is like, um, how much time you're, you're taking children outside on any given day, like, um, I would say, you know, just getting, just, um, talking to your licensor about what it is you need to do to, to be outside more is, I think they'd be open to that. Um, but there's a lot of learning around like teachers being comfortable being outside with children and um, making sure that they're trained and, and, and are willing to sort of get out of their own comfort zones. It's sort of a mindset like, and, and I think your program, if you're committed to it, it, it is, something that I think all stakeholders in your program kind of need to be committed to. So, you know, whether it's the director or admin, whether it's the board of directors, if you have one of those or um, teachers, families, children, sort of everybody's, you know, needs to sort of be on board with it. Um, and once you make that commitment, you know, I feel like it's, you can figure all the other stuff out. Um, you know, it doesn't, I don't think being, you know, it doesn't have to be fancy to go outside. And as, as a matter of fact, it can be quite dirty <laughs> as it should be. Um, you know, you don't need fancy spaces to get outside. Um, and, you know, establishing routines, a schedule, some policies around it, making sure there's the right gear, communicating to families. Um, so, I mean, uh, it, we've, we've put a, a lot of effort to make sure that we're doing it in a way that feels, um, safe and and constructive and beneficial to to everyone in the program here thank so. you Sessa. yeah cool. sure so Sessa was um people place has been around for forever and ever so she started <laughs> us off with sort of a program that's been well seasoned and now we're going to move to jessica if you can can you i think i might have to ask you to hello <laughs> Um, I'm, my name is Jessica Lewis. I own Inch by Inch Preschool in Wilton. Um, we built it and opened it in 2006. We're a full day preschool serving children ages three to five. Um, we have 20 preschoolers per day with three full-time teachers, including myself. Um, many of the children are five days a week, but some do come three or four. So that means on different days of the week, um, we have different mixes of children. We're open 7.30 to 5, um, and we are a licensed child care facility, so it's not on the same property as my home or attached to a house in any way. Um, this is a picture of the inside, or part of it at least. Um, our journey is a little different because we have slowly, bit by bit, moved outside um, more and more. Um you can skip to the next slide. Um, so we originally had a much smaller, just grassed in um, fenced in area when we first opened with like bare minimum square footage, just because of costs and the way things uh, worked out building it. Um, but after about seven years, we had the opportunity to add fill to a different portion of our property that allowed us to um, move a second playground down there, which is now our uh, primary playground. Um, and then we, so through that process, the licensors were 
pretty understanding considering I don't think um, natural playscapes really were fairly new um, in this area, at least. And so it was pretty, like Sessa said, not fancy. Um, the best advice I had when we added on that playground was um, from other providers saying to just let the children figure out um, what they wanted to do with it and not add too much to it until they sort of discovered the different elements that it offered. Um, you know, the licensors, so we've been through three licensors since I've been opened and all of them have been very understanding and asked questions if they were concerned about certain loose parts or this and that. And we always worked hard to have, you know, our safety rules and um, were able to vocalized to them about, you know, what we were doing with the different materials. Um, and then in 2020, when the, um, when COVID hit, we built that structure that was on the last slide. Um, and that gave us more of a gathering space. Um, yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, so we really began to push ourselves to be outside as much as possible, like a lot of people did. Um, and then, yeah, now you can flip slides. So we have tables, we do all sorts of, we bring, you know, any activity you would do inside, outside. We do our meals outside, art, um, puzzles, Lego. We have that stuff available for the long, um, you know, hot summer days when they just want to find something to do in the shade and they've been running around, um, long enough, um, flip sides. So this is just one view. We have, you know, sort of a more groomed wood chip area. And then there's some like gravel area in between where there's not as much going on. And then down over that bank behind that little house is more of a wooded area. Um, and that's like covered in ferns in the summertime. And, you know, with the three teachers, we kind of space out and are able to see everybody. But um, it gives the children, they feel like they're, you know, escaping from the grownups and have more, more space. Um, and this lovely boulder that when they filled in the dump trucks left in the middle of my playground um, and being fairly new to, you know, having a natural playscape, I was horrified. I was like licensing, they just, the town just dropped that boulder there. And I was, um, like, what are we supposed to do with this? How, how dare they? And now, you know, fast forward 10 years later, I'm, it was, was one of the greatest gifts they gave us. Um, the children love that big rock. Um, next slide. So yeah, this is sort of down further into, um, our wooded area where the ferns are growing and they drag all sorts of stuff up and down and all around, but you know, you can see the stumps and, um, some sticks that we have cut up so they can move things around. Um, the back side where you can see the fence goes into our, you know, our beyond. We have a little bit more space beyond that. Um, there didn't used to be a fence there because of natural barriers. Um, we weren't required by licensing to have a fence there, but insurance changed and we had to fence off some of our magical space. But um now that we we just have a gate and we travel beyond that space and it makes um, it more magical for that reason. Uh, next slide. So just another view from different angle of our playground. You can see we've got some spools and some different stuff. Um, we don't have any sort of traditional equipment like a swing set or um, that slide right there is actually movable. Um, and lots of loose parts and wagons and rocks and sticks and um, lots of just nature. We try, I mean, we have a couple plastic things like these wagons, um, balls, but for the most part, we really try to encourage them to just find what they can in nature and use their imaginations. Next slide. Um, here's some winter pictures. Um, sometimes we have to get creative in the winter. If things get real icy, we have to, you know, move to certain parts of the playground and, um, you know, rope off, not visually rope them off, but teach the children, you know, why we're staying out of certain parts of the playground. Um, 
all of our meals are outside when it's warmer. And then in the winter, we just kind of base it on, you know, those real nice February days where the sun is shining and they can keep their mittens off long enough to eat. Um, we do try to do some meals outside in the winter as well. Um, we have an apple tree that the children love um, exploring. And then here's just another angle of some of our loose parts and our canoe. Um, and I think that's my last slide. So I just wanted to back up a little bit. I think I got ahead of myself about um, sort of what our day looks like. So in the warmer weather, the children get dropped off outside. We're outside all morning until after lunch. And then we do go into our building um, to nap and then they get back up, use the bathrooms and we head back out. And as the weather changes, um, we start doing drop-offs inside so that they can do their um, morning snack, use the bathroom, then we gear up and head out until either lunch when we head back in for lunch or if we have lunch outside until nap time. Um, we, our playground, so one of the obstacles we've faced is our playground is not attached to our building. Um, so we have not dove into um, outdoor toileting yet, which is one of our goals and, you know, questions of how, how will licensing work with us on this. And so it's encouraging to see all Sess's ideas. Um, because especially like she said, with the young ones, you know, they're potty training, it's hard to run them back and forth, but we have staffed, our solution was basically, we always have one over ratio, um, so there's always a teacher available to do the bathroom running. Um, if in the occasion one of those people is out and we have exact ratio, we just take a whole group of children up to the bathroom with us. Um, and, but overall, as far as licensing goes, I think our licensors have always worked with us, but because we have a more traditional setup, we have, you know, all the things we need right there. We haven't had to push back as much, um, you know, during COVID we had the hand washing outside and sort of that sort of, um, exploring new ideas that way. But I would say that, um, the toileting and, um, eventually we would love to do some napping outside, but we would probably have to divide the group up, um, because it's a lot of children to be finding the space for. We have, um, I would say it's less, probably about a half an acre um, that they have to explore. And I think, you know, I just wanted to say that I'm thankful to be part of the work that um, is happening with creating these relationships with licensing in order to support providers um, who wanna make outdoor-based programs more accessible for families. Um, I'm excited for providers to have more educational opportunities on how to safely be outside with more ch with children more um, and having support from licensing. Um, I strongly believe, like Sessa was saying, it's about the trainings and the policies and having the documentation to back up what we're doing, um, educating families, licensors, and also insurance companies um, on the benefits and importance for providing these outdoor opportunities. Um, and I think a huge piece also is just worrying, you know, for those of us who have had um, licensors who have worked well with us, it's always worrying when will we have a new licensor? When will that licensor be replaced? And, you know, sort of where will they see, how will they react differently to the things um, the previous licensor has been okay with? So um, that's just a quick rundown and thank you for your time. Thanks, Jessica. Wonderful. Um, I want to note that both Sessa mentioned town code and Jessica mentioned insurance companies. So those are not, um, you don't have to do with licensing, but they are hurdles that programs can have to um, <clears throat> address. And I'm sure Jess has as well, and we'll hear from her. Um, but Miko is happy to explore those barriers as well. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, offer whatever sports we can find. Okay, Jess. Hi, all. Uh, it's really great to see everybody tonight. Well, not see everybody because I can't see you, but um, I'm really happy you're here. 
And it was great listening to Sessa and Jessica and hearing more about their programs. Um, my licensing journey has been a wild one um, and a few years in the making. Uh, so I'm Jessica Labby, the owner of the Village Nest Cooperative in Elliott, Maine. Prior to opening the Village Nest, I was the acting director of Eyes of the World Discovery Center in Kittery. Um, and during the pandemic, they decided to close our program. So I had 50 families without any care and 12 staff who needed jobs. So I, I kind of knew I had to do something and and I wasn't really sure. I had three months before the school year started and I just dove in uh, headfirst. <laughs> um, so I knew we needed to be outdoors because it was the safest way during the pandemic to get back together and to get back to some form of some form of normalcy at that point. Um, so we just did it. <laughs> so it started as a very small journey, and then all of a sudden it just took off. Um, I'm ready for the next slide, Anne. Uh, so at our new nest, we were able to help our students in and community grow with nature. That was my only goal. And I will say that now, after three years open, we are the very first fully outdoor child care center in Maine. And that has been a long time in the making. We're very excited about it. And if you ask any of my staff, they're very proud to tell people that as well as myself. Um, so it was three months of work. And when I say three months of work, I mean every single day from 7 a.m. till 5 p.m. of trying to find a location and finding insurance for us and talking to licensing and all the various things that come along with opening a center. Um, and we weren't licensed at first. We couldn't be. There was no way. So our, thank you, Anne. <laughs> uh, so in August 2020, I, I knew I needed to open in September. So I had called licensing and I kind of explained what I was planning on doing. And they were like, well, I'm not really sure what to do with you. So why don't you continue and just keep in touch with us? We'll figure it out as we go. So we opened in September of 2020. Um, and I sort of like waited it out for a few months to see, is this going to work? Is it not? What's happening? Meanwhile, we followed all licensing guidelines during this time period. I knew that that was important. I wanted to make sure that when we did get licensed, it would be a seamless transition. Um, it was very hard. <laughs> it was very hard, but persistence paid off. In January of 2021, I had a second call with licensing to say, hey, this is working. I don't really know what the next steps are with you guys, but we're fully outdoors. Um, we've always had an emergency shelter, but we don't use it unless it's, oh my goodness, there's a thunder and lightning storm that's here and we absolutely have to use it. And it wasn't on the radar because I, I close early if there's thunder and lightning. Um, parents know if weather is too cold or too anything, we will be closed that day. They are prepared. They know that that is a risk. Uh, so then it was a full year before I was able to talk to licensing again because they still didn't know what to do with us. They were sort of like, well, you're an enigma. We know you're there. Um, we're aware of this situation. And still in 2021 in January, no progress was made. We're not really sure what to do with you. We know we're aware. We know you're here. Uh, so a full year later in 2022, our licensor showed up. She just showed up out of the blue and was like, hi, how's it going? What's what's happening? And so I gave her a tour, showed her all the paperwork, and she was like, great, we still don't know what to do with you, but I just wanted to check in. Um, and that licensor is no longer with the department, but she was wonderful. I will say much like Jessica, I've, in my 10 years of outdoor education, I've worked with five different licensors um, and they've all been incredibly supportive. So in June of 2022, licensing decided it's time. We need to get you licensed. We're going to figure it out. It's going to take some time and it's going to be a process. 
And I was like, great, I'm ready for this. Let's do it. Um, so we also found it out in June of 2022 that we would have to move from the location that we had originally started our program. In October of 2022, we moved to our new home, which is Rate Farm, Rate Farm in Elliott, Maine. Uh, there's 33 beautiful acres of land, and we are so blessed to be able to use that property. Um, 10 acres of forest and then 23 acres of field. So if you can imagine what sledding is like for us in the winter, it's pretty amazing. In January of 2023, we had another conversation with licensing where we started our application process, and that was very exciting. Um, in April of 2023, we applied for our zoning certification through the town of Elliott, and that was a process. And for those of you considering licensing, please know that the zoning certification is very important. Working with your town code of code enforcement officer is very, very important. So having open, honest communication with them about what's going on, they're going to be very interested in your toileting situation and your hand washing situation, as well as licensing. Um, and that was very important for us. So finally, after a few months, uh, we finally went back to town hall. The initial meeting was just a, a here's what we're doing. Uh, here's our application. I'm just going to present to you and let you know that this is happening. In June, we were invited back and we got our approval. So we sent over our forms. And I think I saw that Marla's on this call. She's our licensor. Um, so Marla was very excited. We kind of did a happy dance through the phone together. She's been incredibly supportive. And so is, is Patty. Um, and I think it's important that we mention them by name because they've been great. <laughs> uh so in August, we had our first licensing inspection, and because our program is such an enigma, both Marley, Marla and Patty came out to our program. Uh, there were lots of questions. We walked the whole property. They were there for almost three hours. Um, it was great. I had a great time with them. We brainstormed a lot of things, and all throughout this, I had many questions for licensing. Licensing had many questions for me. It was a back and forth communication. And much like any other relationship, there was a lot of compromise that was made on both parts. Finally, in September of 2023, we got our license and we became the very first fully outdoor child care center in Maine. We are licensed for 40 students, um, but I personally, we max out at 24 that is, we're a very small place. Small, small. Thank you so much, Anne. <laughs> I keep forgetting to tell you to change it. So one of the things that I find to, I find to be super helpful is to phrase everything as a question. So when working with licensing, I want to help them to help me, especially since our program's are so different from many of the programs that they work with. So when they say something doesn't meet the requirements, I will often ask, why doesn't this meet the requirements? Or if something meets the requirements, but I'm not sure why, I'll ask just so that I have the answer and can then use that information for other areas. Um, and then what does meet the requirements? If something that I'm doing doesn't meet the requirements, what could I do to change it? If they don't have an answer, then usually I'll do some research on my part and send them some solutions to see what could be an agreed upon solution. And then waivers. I don't know if you know that this is an option, but you are allowed to apply for waivers for your program. So one of the waivers that we applied for because in the licensing handbook, it says that you need to have access to hot and cold running water for hand washing. However, the CDC says that it just has to be running water for hand washing. It doesn't need to be hot or cold, and there isn't a specific temperature as long as it's not scalding. So we applied for a waiver for hand washing because we did not have access to hot water, only cold water or lukewarm water. And we passed. We had our, our waiver agreed upon and passed. 
Another question is, what exactly is the expectation with this guideline? Sometimes the guidelines are very vague and you don't really understand what are you getting at with this? So asking what the expectation is with the guideline usually will get you some sort of an answer and make it so that you can understand a little bit better and make a better decision for that problem. Um, how And how can I meet the expectation for the guideline? So if you're not really sure, asking these questions, it won't hurt anyone to ask the, que- the follow-up questions. And then really the next step is following up. Every time you have to ask a question or you have to go back and forth, Licensors are incredibly busy. They have huge caseloads, much like we do. So it's very important that we help them help us by following up with them. So I follow up with Marla all the time. Uh, I will often research alternative solutions to see if there is another way for us to do things. Apply for waivers with research-based evidence. That's what we did with our hand-washing waiver. I made sure that I had research in place to show that what we were doing still followed most federal guidelines. Um, And then consulting with other state departments for requirements when needed. We had a situation with our composting toilets where no one was really sure if they were able to be approved. So I followed up with the Department of Environmental Protection to make sure that we weren't violating any codes on their end. And when you follow up with another state department, it just shows that, first of all, you care about the guideline. And second of all, that you understand why the guideline is important. And also consulting government agencies when you need to. So beyond just state departments, there are government agencies that can often help you with your research as well. Um, That's it for the slide, Anne. I think that might be my last. That's your last slide, but I am going to put some pictures up. um, Oh, thank you. um, Just so that people can see more images of your program. You also have the hammocks for resting. Oh, great. Yes, we do. And actually, we sleep outside all year long. Um, Our hammocks have 20 degree sleeping bags that wrap around them for winter. So we sleep outside even on the coldest days. They were out in their little cocoons today. And we also have fire Wednesdays. So every Wednesday, we have a fire where we cook together over the fire. And this picture over here of the hammocks was actually our first day. Nice. Uh, Yeah. And we do all the same things that you would do indoors, only we do it outdoors. Here's one of our little friends having soup. And we also have our mitten activities. This has been a huge hit this year. The kids love the mitten. (laughs) Each year, the National Association for the Education of Young Children, also known as NACI, coordinates the Week of the Young Child. Child care programs, elementary schools, AEYC affiliates, businesses, and more all come together to celebrate young children during this week and bring awareness to their unique needs. It is a time to educate your community, local business leaders, policymakers, congressional delegates, and local officials about the importance of early childhood education. In 2024, the Week of the Young Child will take place from April 6th to April 12th, and we here at Maine AEYC want to help you celebrate. We are offering $5,000 in mini grants to help childcare programs and elementary schools cover the costs of hosting a Week of the Young Child event. If you want to host a Week of the Young Child event in your community, you can find the grant application on our website at maineaeyc.org events. In the past, our Week of the Young Child mini grants have supported events like parades, town festivals, library events, museum events, concerts, and outdoor play days. Applicants for mini-grants can request between $100 and $1,000 for their event. All applications are due by February 23rd, and winners will be announced on February 29th. If you're curious to learn more about the application and what Maine AEYC is looking for, you can also join us for an informational webinar on February 1st. Registration for the webinar and full details about the application can be found on our website at maineaeyc.org events. So we hope you'll apply for a mini-grant and host a Week of the Young Child celebration in your community. We can't wait to hear from you. Awesome. Thank you very much, Jess, 
for sharing your story. No um, there's so much more to that story, but um, in brief, that that's it. So thank you. Um, and we are running a little bit behind schedule, but we will try to speed things up a little bit so that everyone can get out of here on time. Um, thank you to the three of you for sharing a little bit about your programs and the story. And we hope that that gives people a glimpse into the many different, like someone mentioned, the continuum, uh, different ways that you can practice outdoor education with um, young ones within the licensing bounds, and also some strategies on how to work with your licensor. Um, one of those strategies is to use us as a resource. Um, so our policy and advocacy focus group has um, license has a license licensing initiative, which is around um, just sort of supporting uh, the both the licensing department as well as early childhood programs in being able to be outside more within the within the bounds of our rules and regulations. We've had a really strong collaboration with DHHS OCFS licensing department for over a year now. We are thrilled to be partnering with them. Uh, we had a licensure training in the fall of 2022, and that was a five part series that we put on for them. And we'll be following up and hopefully doing another one um, this winter. The Our public policy and advocacy group meets monthly. If you're ever interested in joining it, all are welcome. And uh, we just work to sort of do some of the work around this initiative to move things forward. Um, there's also an intersection between professional learning and the licensing initiative um, in that we are also working simultaneously over here on professional learning that has to do with outdoor nature-based work uh, for all of you. Um, that that will also align itself with licensing rules and regulations as well. So that licensing department can understand that providers are also getting really high quality outdoor training uh, so that they can trust that people are being safe outdoors with children. Uh, we also have some national collaborations, uh, the Natural Start Alliance, um, and th through them, we have made many interstate connections where we're connecting with Washington State or Massachusetts, Maryland. Um, and I was going to see if um, Kit Harrington is on, but I'm gonna have to ask her to unmute. Kit, do you wanna say a few words about the national landscape on the licensing topic? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I have a map, but I, I'm happy I can send it out. Um, I can say that we're, it, this is an incredibly exciting time to be involved in outdoor and nature-based education. I think we're really starting to understand our identity collectively in ways that are having, um, have really significant implications for kids and families and providers and how we all work together to access these incredible benefits that you saw, you know, and experiences that you saw highlighted here today. Um, I can say that we have, there are 18 states right now that are actively engaged in some form of advocacy. And there are a couple more that we're just starting conversations with. Um, we have about seven state agencies that are thinking, including Maine, that um, thanks to the incredible work that you've all been doing, are um, engaged in thinking about a rules change in relation um, to nature-based practice. And um, I think, it, you know, again, what we're seeing is as so um, central to what's happening is relationships. That's what I heard mentioned again and again tonight the power of relationships um, and both in, in getting to the space of trust, recognizing that we're, we're making this um, real shift on all sides of practice in terms of welcoming um, licensors into these other pieces of our practice. And also, you know, for licensors to recognize that, hey, all of these things can happen outdoors in a way that is safe, effective, um, and equitable, and that we can all work together to really break down barriers to um, equity and access. And I'm just gonna quickly put a uh, link in the chat for anyone who's interested. There are a couple more. There's We have a playlist um, with all kinds of other licensing related resources, and we'll be excited to add this one to it soon. Um, and please feel free to reach out and get in touch at any point. Um, and I'm always happy to, you know, talk or think or collaborate however I can. Thanks, Kit. Um, yeah, like I said, uh, there's 
and Kit just reiterated, there's a ton of support. There's a big movement. It's nationwide. Outdoor uh, education is important for all of our students. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and our focus here on our youngest learners is no different. And that getting them outside for more experiences is <laughs> excuse me, a focus uh, for everybody. Uh, and we are sort we as a network are really pulling from a lot of different places to support this initiative and to support our licensing department in in moving that um, forward. And so we're pulling from other states. We're pulling from the Natural Start Alliance. We're also pulling from a lot of uh, state other statewide organizations, the Maine Education Environmental Education Association, as well as the Nature Based Education Consortium. Main Roads to Quality is supportive. Main AYC is incredibly supportive. Um, so there's a lot of movement here. And we hope that all of you who are working sort of tirelessly in the program with children, getting outdoors, that um, you know that we're here to support you. And if you ever need anything to reach out, and otherwise we're just gonna keep moving forward, even if we don't hear from you for specific needs. I will say that I saw a question in the chat about whether um, and we have your email. I don't want to get into specifics around that right now because of the time, but um, we are happy to follow up and send some resources around the cold temperatures and wind chill and how programs are addressing that um, as well. And uh, in closing, I'll just remind everyone that um, it would be wonderful if you are interested in this initiative for you to get on our mailing list if you're not already. And also feel free to uh, join us um, through the uh, on our website. There's information about the public policy and advocacy focus group that meets monthly. Um, that's also included in our newsletter. Uh, that's a great way to get involved and offer feedback, whether you come once or you come over and over again. Either either is fine. Um, but uh, join us there to hear about this work that's sort of ongoing. Um, over time. Hey, thanks for listening. You've just finished another episode of 123 All Ears on Me. This podcast is a production of the Maine Association for the Education of Young Children. You can learn more about us at maineaeyc.org. The webinar was hosted by Ann Adams, and the podcast was hosted, edited, and produced by me, Kaylina Mills. Until next time. <laughs>